want more. I want more. There's that song. Hey, welcome to Your Inner Child is an Idiot, the podcast where we look back on things from our childhood and see if they're any good. My name is DJ. My name is Damon. Damon, otherwise that was my known most as... morning zoo introduction. We've got Hello. gender wars coming up <laughs> at the top of the hour, but first, DJ's gonna crunch the traffic. Otherwise known as my mortal enemy, glasses wearer McGee. That's my came up with that one. For a Dick Tracy villain name. Of course. And I would be a six-head Greek name. (laughs) They were very racist to Eastern European people at that time. Oh, yeah. Then they call people like the Greek. (laughs) Right. It's like, uh, there are millions of us. There's a lot of Greek people in this city. Not even just We got a whole neighborhood. I hope you're enjoying your euros while you just call me the Greek. I did have a thought the other day when, uh, bef- like, right actually before I started watching the Padma Lakshmi show, I was like, oh, this is an aside. Um, I was like, you know, it's weird, like, how I wonder if you can just, like, when people are so uh, racist against immigrants, you're like, just have a pupusa. And then you'll, like, be like, oh, they're just like us. They make food, and that food is delicious. But then they, like, in the immediately in the first episode, it's like, we love to eat immigrant food and hate immigrants. <laughs> it was like, right. ah, Mexicans well, you walk covered- in and like have another taco, asshole. Yeah, and you're like, well, I guess we covered that. Thanks, <laughs> thanks, Padma. <laughs> thanks, Padma. Patty, I call her Patty. So we're going to talk about Dick Tracy, uh, the cartoon strip. We're going to read a couple <laughs> and talk about them for a while. I think three strips is enough, right? We don't That's have probably, to like we'll, go crazy. I mean, we'll nine panels is more than enough to get this. He's got gist a yellow coat. He's got a yellow coat. <laughs> He's got the um, watch and everything. We're gonna we're gonna watch the movie from 1990. I want to say, ooh, three. I am going to say 1992. Okay, and Google says, ooh. 2004. 1990. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. So. There you have it. I guess you win. That's by the end price, of the show. By Price is Right rules, you win. Well, no, I still went over. Uh, We're both going home with nothing. We're going to get DCMA'd. I should stop. Um, have you so, ever watched their Price is Right where they both uh, go over and then no one gets anything and Drew Carey's like, ah, that's a shame. And then the credits. Stayed and neutered. They just end the show 28 minutes early. <laughs> Tell me about your memories of this movie. Thank you. Uh, I remember wanting Please. to see this movie because I was a Roger Rabbit was my favorite movie, and there was a short for Roger oh. Rabbit before this movie. And much like uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which had right. tummy trouble, this one has Roller Coaster Rabbit in front. Great, can't wait. Um, which we may or may not watch depending on its availability. Uh, but um, I wanted to see this primarily to see that six minutes minute cartoon before <laughs> it. Uh, but we went the was like this post they, Roger Rabbit the movie. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, How they didn't you know invent the it? character. <laughs> no, I didn't know. Like, like, what if we framed him for murder? <laughs> Kids will love that. Uh, yeah, it was because uh, Roger Rabbit's. Eight Not everyone is as steeped in the history of Roger Rabbit as you are. Okay. Yeah, but I'm still living my life forward <laughs> in time. 
I have bad news. I'm <laughs> oh, a reverse God. ager. Um, so I wanted to see for that, but uh, um, they they used to just show those cartoons in the first few weeks of the run, mm. and then they would take it off of there, and we went like a week late, and I would, we didn't see it. <gasps> that being said... I really remember enjoying this movie, and this was oddly, when I lived in Texas, I could ride my bike without getting on a major street to get to a blockbuster, mm. which was like a coup of my life. Like That was <laughs> like, oh, this is perfect. And I would constantly rent Dick Tracy. It was like one of those movies I would rent and re-rent. And I don't know if I really truly loved the like story, but the production of this movie is like ludicrous. Like When we yeah. rewatch it, uh, Warren Beatty only wanted to use colors in the movie that would have been available in a comic strip from the 30s. So there's all these like primary colors. Wow. Uh, it's just all yellows, reds, and greens, he... and blues. Wait, the why? only purple that appears is uh, Madonna's car in the movie is purple. Mm. But otherwise, it's all like really, really solid, bright primary colors. It's Did Warren Beatty produce this? Hmm? Did Warren, Warren Beatty, Beatty directed this? it. I'm, oh, he directed it. I don't know if he produced it. He like okay. has a weird thing. This has come out sort of in recent years where like, you know, uh, the ravenous vampires of Hollywood are like looking for any IP that's not yet right, claimed right. To, to make into a movie and they want to make Dick Tracy again. But Warren Beatty holds the movie rights and they took him to court to get the rights back because he's not doing anything with them because yeah. he expected he would make like a handful of Dick Tracy movies. Um, and... Uh, the judge says, look, you're going to have to make something with Dick Tracy in the next like year or something. And he made like a little like commercial with himself as Dick Tracy. And that was it. And that was enough to like get by. And he still holds the goddamn rights. That's the same reason but they like, did he's... the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies. <laughs> to hold on to the rights for a few more years. Yeah. Sony was like, I like the way that Warren Beatty thinks. Um, <laughs> Let's do the Warren Beatty but, movie. Like, Warren model. Beatty is like, I think he's nearing 90 at this point. Yeah. He's round in the bend. Like, you're not going to be Dick Tracy anymore. I'd rather have, like, Joe Biden would be like a more spring chicken <laughs> Dick Tracy at this point. Um. But yeah, I remember renting this movie and loving the production values and kind of loving the songs. And it's kind of like a ridiculously stacked movie yeah. in terms of cast. Like there's so many people in it. Um, I think probably because Warren Beatty was like, hey, I've been in Hollywood since Hollywood began. Why don't you be in my movie? So it's like Al Pacino, Paul Sorvino, Mandy Patinkin's in it. Uh, Glenn Headley's in it. Madonna's in it. Steven Sondheim did the music for it. And I'm sure a slew of other people I don't even remember at this point are in it. Mm. Oh, James Caan's in it for like a minute and a half. Uh, it's insane. This whole movie is insane. This is basically, uh, they pushed this one, this was like pushed for ki at kids. Like I, there was some sort of McDonald's tie-in. Yes. I had the I had the watch. Shirts, there were shirts with Dick Tracy. Yeah, there yeah. was a watch. Uh, you yeah. could buy. And I remember there was um, action figures, and they were all ludicrously buff. Like the Warren Beatty was like He Man, like stuffed into an arrow uh, button-up shirt. It was ludicrous what everyone was wearing, and he didn't even have the yellow coat in his action figure. What? Like that's the whole point. That's the thing. Anyway, go uh, ahead. This, but this very much, and I don't know if it's going to be that way rewatching it but like this movie and the michael keaton batman the 1989 batman are like essentially the same they basically they might as well be the same movie in my head except for <laughs> i've seen batman many times since then not many times for this podcast um and 
Dick Tracy, I literally haven't seen since I was a kid. So. I wonder if there was like a Hollywood like, oh, because I mean, we think of like comic book movies now as like, yeah, of course, they're just going to make 16 comic book movies a year. Right. But then it was like, oh, Batman brought it back. And what other comic books can we bring back? And right. maybe someone was like, well, Dick Tracy was crazy popular. And the people who read Dick Tracy then are not dead yet. So let's, let's make do that. This. How, do you remember how this did like was it a hit? I know it was like they spent money on promoting it, but was it a hit? <laughs> I think it was a modest hit. I think I remember thinking, oh, it must have flopped because they didn't do anything with it. Yeah. But I think it was a modest hit. Like it made its money back, but it didn't like blow anyone out of the water, and so right. it just sort of fizzled out. Was this? Uh, I mean, this is peak Madonna. Yeah, like, she's in. This is like around the. Um, like Vogue, right? I mean, wasn't didn't Vogue come out in Vogue? Yeah, Vogue is nineteen ninety, so this would have been peak Madonna, um, peak uh, Madonna trolling the gay culture for their yeah <laughs> for, for their scene. Um, but uh, you're welcome, gays. Thanks, Madonna. Actually, thanks, Madonna. Um, Don't worry, <laughs> a, a, a straight person uh, absconding with gay culture would never happen again after that. So, I guess it all worked out. Yeah. Um, absconded, yes, by the way. Queen. I imagine <laughs> imagine her floating away on a pirate ship. <laughs> Bring it back! Madonna! What are we going to do now? Just stare at each other? Madonna! <laughs> Madge! I know you hate Madge! being called that! Madge! She hates being called that? That's too bad, because that's a great... Oh, yeah. Okay. We don't call enough women Madge and Midge anymore. That's yeah. a real shame. Do you remember the the... The McDonald's tie-in was it like a was it the toys or I knew there was a tie-in but I can't I can't place I'm sure it. there was I don't remember was it cups they went through a cups period where you get collectors got, cups I got over that as a kid at the time I was like where are my little action where are my little toys remember when they made like Transformers out of the Happy Meal yes that was the fucking best thing ever and then they're like that was way too expensive cups again. Let's do cups. <laughs> We're doing Batman Returns cups, and the lid turns into a frisbee. Unlike all lids to all. <laughs> so we're gonna watch Dick Tracy. I actually haven't done any research on where we can watch it. Oh Let's... God, I, is it D plus? I swear to God, if you've trapped me into a D plus situation, HBO Max. It says. Ooh, now that's more like it. Hulu. And oh Amazon wow! Prime. So we're it's good. on everything. It's on everything. We're good. So it's on all of it. Yeah. Um, so we're going to watch Dick Tracy, watch along with us and we'll be right back. You see? Listen, Xanthopolis. Yeah. You're, you're out of control. You're a rogue. You're causing all untold damage at various arrestings that you make. I also, I mean, I don't want to correct you while you're talking, but you have a set of rules. I have a set of rules. I play by my rules. Not your rule. No, no, that's not. No, there that's is what one I'm doing. Rule, there's one thing of rules, and it's this thing that I'm holding. You have to imagine that I'm you holding. You printed out the rules? Yeah, well, it's important to have good training manuals. I guess that's 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 good. That's for onboarding purposes. Wait, we just, our voice now sounds the same. <laughs> I don't know how to turn this into a commercial for Patreon.com. I was listening to a radio teleplay the other day, and there was, you know what, I got nothing. I was going to turn like the radio. We listened to the radio, and then he went to yourinnerchildsanidiot.com or, you know. Yeah. 
you know, he did that and maybe became a patron of our podcast, but I don't think it's going to work out. I can't, I can't, I can't thread that needle, TJ. This is the kind of quality stuff you can expect from us. Uh, help us keep making the show. Patreon.com slash your child is an idiot. If you give it the $5 per episode level, we'll read your name in the credits of the show. And we'll, Damon said he's going to give every single person that we read today a Dick Tracy nickname. So, um, oh, yes. I that's exciting. did say that. <laughs> and I appreciate you reminding me that I said that. So if that's the kind of stuff that you're interested in, help support the show. Help us keep making it at patreon.com slash you're in a child's an idiot. Or you're in a child's an idiot.com. I don't know why I keep glossing over the fact that we got a... We have a we redirect. A re- we have a 301 redirect in place. There's no reason to just give them the long one. Give them the short one, which is also still pretty long. It's pretty long. Patreon... You can also do, go to yiciai.com probably, but it's also, that's like even worse. Yeah, because yikiyay. Yikiyay.com. Anyway, let's move on, shall we? <laughs> Please. We're back. We watched Dick Tracy, and Damon, do you want to introduce our special guest? I do, I do. After we, after I watched this, I realized how central music is to this. And since I am dear friends, probably in my top thirty friends. Wow, uh, wow. With that's uh, like, <laughs> that's close to my space level. Not quite, but oh yeah. I mean, he wouldn't be in the top eight, Absolutely but he'd be, not. you know, just about to crest. Uh, You're gonna reserve that for Tila Tequila, and then Tom, of course. <laughs> Tom Tila and you know a Meryl Streep fan page, um, <laughs> but uh, since Sondheim music is so central to this movie, I thought that it would be a good idea to have my dear friend Adam come on and teach us all a little about Stephen Aloysius Sondheim. <laughs> That's right. That's his middle name. <laughs> Don't look it up. Don't look it up. Don't worry, worry about it. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Adam. Thanks for doing this. Welcome, Adam. Thank you. Well, you know, I think it's my duty as a, a homosexual <laughs> who <laughs> cries a lot <laughs> to talk about Stephen Sondheim whenever given the opportunity. They didn't go over that as much as I thought they would in music school. The crying. <laughs> it was the no. That, that was in gay school. That oh, was in gay school. Okay. I, gave her. I didn't major in music right, theater. I think maybe. that half of the curriculum is in the gay school. <laughs> music school is is something else. Um, so. Adam, I know uh, that you like to sit alone in your room and uh, just say the name Sondheim aloud. So can yeah. you tell us um, <laughs> is it a little or bit is about it just, how, he, I, how... I need to know more about this. It's at various... It's uh, a full screen, full volume. <laughs> Sondheim! If your vocal cords aren't damaged, it's, you're not doing it right. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you got introduced to Stephen Sondheim? I assume not personally, but I assume you've probably been in his bushes before. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it... <laughs> Wait, is that a... Okay. No. Okay. Literal and metaphor. I'm a stalker. That's what it means. Um, no, I, I think I probably um, took a pretty pedestrian route to Sondheim. I, when I was growing up, I was obsessed with uh, Phantom of the Opera and Andrew Lloyd Webber and things that I would say are maybe more accessible uh, oh. in the musical realm. Take that. Yeah, <laughs> but then, um, as with most things, I found him through um, Bernadette Peters, <laughs> close friend of the show, and just becoming obsessed. You remember how she was in um, the Cinderella with Brandy and Whoopi Goldberg mm. and Victor Garber? I mostly know her Animaniacs work, but uh, I'm familiar with that version of Cinderella. So I became obsessed with Bernadette Peters this way, and then I found she has um, a live album called Sondheim, etc. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was just a concert she recorded of mostly Sondheim songs. 
and I discovered them, and I was like, you know what, this guy, uh, he might be onto something. I think this guy's going to be a hit. <laughs> Hot take alert. <laughs> side, side note, uh, Brendette Peters is the one in The Jerk, right? Yeah, that's right. See, I know you were going to take that tone because the last time... He's angry at both of our references of Bernadette Peters. He's angry at Animaniacs and the, the Jerk. Cinderella. Well, that, yeah, like, I, that, that's your reference. Better. I like that that's better for some reason. Um, but I, I saw <laughs> The Jerk and I was like, I didn't recognize her because I was a, uh, a young 20-something tro. And I was like, what? I wonder what happened to that lady. And I got the most evil... Uh, look I've ever gotten from a gayman who said that's Bernadette Peters and I said okay <laughs> I'll tell you what ha- two Tonys happened to her that's what happened to her and, she and had that a- gay man was Adam Tamperin in mm-hmm. your in your she had a fulfilling I'm- career you motherfucker that's what happened to her <laughs> uh, celebrate she's a, she's a celebrated of the American musical theater she's a treasure I will I will grant that now but I didn't know I didn't know you gotta you gotta Start somewhere. Yeah, and that's I think really the the key to Sondheim because I think he's like a very cerebral composer, and like sometimes his songs take a, a little bit of of thought, and you have to sit with them for a while. So I have spent um, many, many, many hours sitting with them. <laughs> Um, so what are some of the ones? I mean, I know uh, West Side Story was West Side Story oh. his big break. Um, it, I, I do believe that was the first one, but he only did the lyrics for West Side Story. He also okay. did the lyrics to Gypsy. Okay. And then, of course, Sweeney Todd would probably be his, his most famous work, uh, Into the Woods. With the Hot Topic crowd at this point. Huh? Oh, because of the makeup. Um, because of the makeup and the, the meat pies and the Helena Bonham Carter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Sweeney Todd probably, and it's probably thought of as his most successful uh, musical. But he's done a, a lot of things. Uh, Into the Woods, A Little Night Music, which is where Sin and the Clowns came from. Um, he's uh, basically one of the greatest... Uh, Composers ever to have lived. DJ, you probably know Send in the Clowns from that episode of The Simpsons yeah. where Krusty said his comeback. Special. I only know Send in the Clowns from <laughs> other things. That's absolutely true. Um, <laughs> is he, Our purpose here, actually, Adam, is to slowly kill you. <laughs> it's working. It's working. <laughs> as a Heimhead, was the, okay, no. was the, <laughs> was Dick Tracy Sandy. Sandy. Um, <laughs> Asandra, uh, was this a big? Was Dick Tracy important? No. <laughs> I watched Dick Tracy for this, and I was like, "Oh, that's where all those songs came from." I think the songs work a lot. Um, you texted me um, in the middle of the weekend just a simple sentence, which was, "Dick Tracy is insane." It doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, granted, I wasn't paying attention, but I couldn't follow anything um, that was happening. So he did five songs for this one, which mm-hmm. I also found out um, while I was doing some of my preliminary research, also known as nine minutes before the show, skimming through Sondheim <laughs> articles, uh, that he also did. Uh, Warren Beatty's Reds. He did some of the music for Reds. Right. Um, so I'm assuming that is where uh, Warren Beatty signed their blood oath together <laughs> and uh, forced him into doing the music he got- for Dick Tracy. Do you know, okay, I, so this is a little bit of Sondheim trivia. Please. Some ST. He, um, so Warren Beatty wanted him to do the full score for Reds and he refused to do all of the battle sequences 
And because he just like wasn't feeling it. So he they was defaulted like, to of- Danny Elfman. <laughs> Yeah, he was just like, I don't want to, but I will do the romantic stuff. I'll do like for the romantic scene. For Reds or for Dick Tracy? For Reds. He was just Uh, like, I don't want to do the, like the battle stuff. It's too, like the bombast and the orchestration. I mean, he could do anything he wanted. (laughs) He just didn't want to do. (laughs) Anyway, I just thought that was, I I mean, he's just He was like, I'll only do a slow, somber song set to a montage in Dick Tracy. That's that's what I'll do. only what that's the only thing I'll agree to, and everyone was like, okay, <laughs> whatever. And Fine, it was Steve. Amazing. It's like they tried because there was two major montage bits in this. The first one um, is set to like I don't remember even which song it was, but it's very slow, somber. I think it's that sooner odd. or later. Yeah, the first montage, and then the second one set to back in business, which is much Fun more montage. apropos. Well, no, there's the one, the sad one is What Can You Lose? What can you that, lose? One, that one I really like. Yeah. <laughs> That's the one where Mandy Patinkin and Ma- Madonna oh, yeah. are singing together. The duet mm-hmm. that no one asked for. Mandy Patinkin and Madonna. <laughs> do, you know, do you know who asked for it? Because I um, read it in my Sondheim book, which is a real thing. <laughs> he wrote um, Finishing the Hat, which is uh, a quote from uh, one of his favorite famous musicals that neither one of you have heard of, Sunday in the Park with George. Mm-hmm. And, oh, no, yeah, with George Surratt. No, with Mandy Patinkin. No, but the painter is George Surratt. Yeah, I don't care about all that. <laughs> I don't care about. I don't care about the context. I'm glad you play. love the musical. You didn't catch the guy's last name though. <laughs> it's not important. <laughs> anyway, but no, Warren Beatty um, said, "I want to have a song with uh, Mandy Patinkin singing." He plays the the piano player, and sometime in his in this in the book said, "You know." the piano player, the character is so undefined. Like, how are you going to write a song from that guy's perspective? I didn't know what to do. And so Warren Beatty was like, just look through like his dialogue and see if anything sparks your interest. And in then you scene, find like, a character. He said, yeah, like, <laughs> you do. I'm busy buying yellow trench coats. <laughs> Figure it out. <laughs> I just want Mandy Patinka to sing. And so like, he says, what can you lose in the scene before this? And, Steve was like, okay. <laughs> he took it very like, literally. Oh, he looked one yeah. page back and was like, oh, there we go. <laughs> I, I can a make a song out of that. <laughs> I, w- I will say this. I didn't, I didn't, I'm, I don't mean to speak out of turn here, but I didn't, mm. I didn't like the Sondheim material in this. None of it? I didn't. Except for Back in Business, which is a jam. Back in not, Business is a fun song. Not sooner or later? Sooner or later, it's trash. I'm sorry. Trash. No, it's Oscar winning. Uh, uh, amazing oh, th- things that are bad well. can't win Oscars, so that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> I liked both sooner or later and nothing to lose. It's not. It's um, not trash. I, I was. Trash. I was exaggerating for a humorous effect. It's not trash. Yeah, I just didn't like you. Um, do you know what's trash? You're trash. <laughs> <laughs> that is. <laughs> awesome. It took a while, but it, it finally came. That's to true. Me. There you go. Thank you, yeah. boys. Boys. <laughs> Um, I like both those songs. I am torn on whether I like them in this movie right. or if I just like them as songs. Right. Um, which is something we experienced with Labyrinth as well, where I was like, I like all these songs. I don't know if they're supposed to be in this movie, but um, it was uh, like an odd. How did you feel? So uh, wait, hold on, Adam. So <laughs> how did you feel about the 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 use in this film? Well, okay. So the I would say the, the film is trash. I don't know if you guys have discussed that part yet. <laughs> we, we, have, haven't. we haven't made it that far yet. That's pending. It's, so I, I do think like there's a class difference of like the songs are so sophisticated and tasteful and classy, 
that next to all like these weird disfigured Dustin Hoffman heads. <laughs> like I just like it's just that part of it is 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 weird to me, I guess. It's called a rogues gallery, Adam. But like let's be honest, I've been listening to these songs, particularly sooner or later, uh as sung by Bernadette Peters for years. So I'm gonna love it no matter what. So can I assume that you like Bernadette Peters' version better than Madonna's? Um yes. But I will I say, that, say the okay, correct so, answer is yes. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I haven't even heard the version. DJ's like, I haven't heard that I version, heard that but version. the correct answer is yes. Yeah. It is, it's better. But I will say, one of the things he Stephen Sondheim does that I really like is he writes to the strengths of the singer, and so he knew it was going to be Madonna, and I feel like he... I haven't talked to him about it. I'll ask him next time yeah. we... Him, I mean, his birthday. Send him a text. He's on that same thread. <laughs> but but uh, <laughs> I, I feel like he wrote to her range, and you can kind of tell... Like, g- gave her something that she could work with, Um and I, I think it was successful. I kind of really didn't like the way, like at the beginning, when it's first in there, you just hear a little snippet of it. And I was like, are you kidding me? Mm. You're going to have like have- all these toughs, you know, <laughs> flopping jobs during the song. I did notice that the that Warren Beatty, for hiring Stephen Sondheim, which I imagine cost him a pretty penny, uh, he does edit uh, across Stephen Sondheim's music, like more than one time, he does it with uh, the first version of uh, "Sooner or Later," and then he does it with uh, "More." Gets right. chopped up during during the uh, I think it's during the climax, and it just like cuts. Um, in the climax, it's kind of effective because it 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 keeps is jarring, I think, but it is annoying if you're trying to hear the goddamn song. And sooner or later, I do I like I think. In, I, I consider it uh, non-trash. It's in my non-trash playlist. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it's it's very annoying when you're trying to listen to a song that's hooking you and then it just keeps cutting away from it. It was very annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid plot of oh, the movie. But I want to talk. I want to talk about. Um, <laughs> get in the way of my music. <laughs> uh, I wanted to talk about Madonna. I do agree that he did write to her range which uh, famously changed once she was in Evita. But I feel yeah, she like... she changed it for Lloyd Webber. Yeah, she changed it for him, but not for someone. Get Sondheim. out of here with that. Um, but I also don't think she's... She acquits herself well with the material. <laughs> there's something missing. I feel like she's like... I think she hits the notes, but there's something like, like tinny or flat about like her... She doesn't have like a brassy voice. I think Madonna is very good in certain situations. I don't know if she's good in this in these songs. I don't know. As so good as she could be. There's a clip of her singing it live at the Oscars where I think, and she does like the strip tease kind of thing. And I of think course. it works. I think it's the way it's edited really does, like the way it's kind of like you hear part of it in one part of the movie. I'm moving my hands around wildly, by the way, everyone. No one will ever see this except for um, us. I'm Italian. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, the, I think it works better when you see it kind of like performed all in a row and ra- rather than just kind of being like, oh, here's a little bit and here's a little bit. And I, I think the same is true of more because it has all these different references to like songs of the time. It's like a pastiche. Yeah. And mm-hmm. You can't really process that when like Al Pacino's coming in and you're trying to figure out where his lips are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah but- I know they're on the lower third of his face. <laughs> Somewhere, Somewhere in there. In there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I I like Madonna, but she has very distinct limitations with her voice. And I think Ernest Madonna is a hard sell for me. And always, like, whether we're talking Sondheim or this used to be my playground. 
<laughs> it's, it's not her. It's like, not what her. Take a bow was good. What's that? Take a bow was good. Which one was that? Take a bow, you. You have something, to stop saying you have to pay royalties. Tell me something. Where does that happen in the movie? That's not. Oh, movie. that's not in this. Oh, one. oh, okay. It's just a good song. Okay. Well, okay. It's just her being earnest. Did she do that? I'm not. Was that her audition for Evita? Was that her attempt to like woo the the director into hiring her? I don't have the Madonna book. Wasn't that the one with the bullfight where it was where she was like filming it in a yeah, oh, that like arena? Very... Is that that one? No. Yeah, maybe. No, it's not. Because when you take a bow, you're saying goodbye. Oh, say goodbye. That part. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> we are really good Madonna impersonators. She has a voice that she puts in the back of a funeral. She's always a good up her nose. <laughs> you know what? Oscar winner Steven Sondheim. <laughs> I just want to bring it back. Thank top. you. I was going to say. Do you know? So he couldn't attend the another bit of Sondheim trivia for you. Thank you. He um, had dreamed of winning an Oscar for since he was a little kid. But. Um, when he won, he couldn't attend because he had broken his ankle. What was he doing? I Skiing? Don't, I, I don't, that wasn't in the book. Maybe I, I need to go back and check the footnotes. But, Story's um, falling apart. A lot of holes. But he didn't want to be on crutches because he found that to be gauche, to like crutch up the stage. You never find a good crutch. Like there's no, there's no formal crutch. I bet Steven Sondheim could get one of those made. He could probably Just get, get it covered in satin. Or yeah. Get some rare gems. Okay, I have more Sondheim questions for you. Mm-hmm. What is, if someone's listening to this and they're like, oh my God, those two homosexuals and that one heterosexual <laughs> are really uh, making me interested in Steven Sondheim, uh, I'd like to know more songs I should uh, look up on Spotify so that he can get a third of a cent. Well, you know, even, I am all even. about <laughs> cutting up pennies and throwing them at Steven Sondheim. <laughs> <laughs> this poor 90-year-old man. <laughs> I would say like that one um, infomercial with the scissors. You're like, <laughs> <laughs> that can cut through the yeah. pennies. Yeah, that's right. We tried that once, uh, but we had to use a vice to make him. Who's we? Cut. My Who's dad. Doing? It was my dad. I was like twelve. <laughs> we bought him from TV, and he was like, "This is." Oh, so you bought the actual scissors, the penny cutting scissors, yes. just to cut pennies. You know, well, you can't use them. <laughs> no, we 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 thought it would be a good way to test them, but then we were determined to make it work anyway. Sorry, this is well. Terrible. <laughs> I, I would say if you like the music of um, Stephen Sondheim in um, Dick Tracy, I was like, what movie are we talking about? <laughs> um, then I would start with the musical Follies because it also has like kind of pastiche songs of a similar era. They've got like the torch ballads and the um, technical term, the ditties. Um, the so ditties? I, yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, but I would start there. There's like a there's a song called "Losing My Mind" that is a ballad reminiscent of "What Can You Lose?" Perhaps um, I also think. I mean, you can't go wrong with "Send in the Clowns." Do you know he wrote the song "Send in the Clowns" Sondheim tidbit for Glennis Johns, who is the actress who played the mom in Mary Poppins, Sister Suffragette. Yeah, so he wrote. She was that also for the her. grandmother in uh, "While You Were Sleeping." Really? Yeah. She was like a trillion years old. And as a young gay man, I was like, that's the mom from Mary Poppins. <laughs> <laughs> well, she also um, sang that song for the first time. And he wrote that specifically for her range. 
Um, so I just, look at that. I, you, you want to look at that. There's this musical from him called Merrily We Roll Along. That's mm-hmm. actually Ben Platt is going to be in the movie of it in 20 years. They're doing like, they're doing it in boyhood style where they're filming a oh. little bit um, every like year or two. Oh ben Platt, um, don't go skiing. And there's um, a lot of good songs in that. Man, that's that's a, okay. that's a all of them. large commitment. <laughs> also, just uh, listen to all of them. All of them. Yeah, song all of them. <laughs> They're just really good, you guys. Um, so are you excited for Spielberg's West Side Story coming out in, I guess, 2023? I feel like that's been done, right? Yeah, I believe it was done in the past. <laughs> <laughs> I'm familiar with... I mean, will I watch it 17 times? Yes. Do I think Ansel Elgort or whatever his name is, is the right Tony for our time? Uh, (laughs) Well, he's actually being dubbed over by Marnie Nixon. So, (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm definitely in. It'll be a cold classic. That's some uh, movie trivia for you, DJ. (laughs) Yeah, I got, I didn't get any of that. Is that what you guys do here? I've never seen an episode. So. <laughs> I, you've literally seen an episode. You were at our live show. <laughs> You're all in the audience of an episode. Screaming Sondheim's name for some Just reason. Just kept saying Sondheim. <laughs> What's your favorite part about Short Circuit? Sondheim! <laughs> uh, well, thanks for joining us, Adam. I'm happy. You know what? I'll, I'll see you next week. Okay. When we discuss. <laughs> yeah, now that you're our new co-host, yeah, dude, what, we'll see you next what, week. Are you an expert the on? Time references in, huh? What, what else are you an expert on? We can bring you in for other things, too. I'm, what do you know about Silence of the Lambs? Are you an FBI profiler? <laughs> are you I a watch Silence of the Lambs like, <laughs> once a week, which probably just says more about me being unstable than anything else. Do you want to uh, regale us with your Jodie Foster impersonation? Ooh, that's another one that's good. Whose head was in that bottle? <laughs> Whose head was in that bottle, Dr. Lecter? <laughs> oh, she is great as well. That's like I'm gonna add her name to the list of people I scream about. <laughs> I have a list. Adam, this has been a real treat. <laughs> um Wait, is there anything you wanted to say about Sondheim that we didn't get to? Because if you're anything like me, you've already rehearsed several speeches before we started recording. No, no, that's what tonight is for. Um, <laughs> I just, oh, no, I should have said this. <laughs> he's really good. Um, and, y- you know, he's just, like, really good. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> This is turning into your fifth grade book report. <laughs> Stephen Sondheim is a composer. He composed music. He was really good at three things. Writing songs, writing lyrics, and writing lyrical songs. (laughs) Writing hearts. I just like how weird his, like, collection of musicals is. Like, he wrote about a guy who was just going around slitting throats. He wrote about, um, like... Hard-boiled detective. Japanese Japanese history for his musical Pacific Overtures, which was um, uh, produced. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the uh, best thing I can say about it is that it was produced. In Sunday in the Park with George, he wrote a whole song from the point of view of, like, characters in a, a pointillism painting. Mm-hmm. The, oh, because the, George Surratt. Yeah. And so, like, they're... And, like, Famously it's, George Surratt. The song is called It's Hot Up Here because the character... It's hot in the painting. <laughs> and I now, just, you, you were telling me about this song. It's not just... It's not the people in the park. It's literally the people in the painting. Right. So like the second act of the musical opens with like the painting. Like, mm-hmm. and they're, I mean, they're 
the human actors pretending to be in the painting, of course. Sure, there's no they magic. Didn't animate the painting. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it wasn't they're Hogwarts. Like, they're like, you know, it's hot up here, y'all. Um, but like with that Sondheim flair. Um, <laughs> but that's the gist. I mean, I just think, and like, oh, okay. He turned the script back one and it said, mm-hmm. so a character was saying, it's hot up here, y'all. And he's like, I can do a song. I, I can work with that. <laughs> and then, um, like, he did, uh, I mean, everything he did was just so weird. He was willing to go there, like, let's do Into the Woods, let's do all the fairy tales mashed together. But in the end, Rapunzel gets trampled mm. by the giant. So, like, you know, right. it's, it's uh, I like how weird and twisted his brain is. And then he was like, I'm going on to Dick Tracy. That's right. Wow. Make uh, Dustin Hoffman look like a big... <laughs> a shrunken head. Boiled potatoes? Sure. <laughs> I, I, I could write for that. Mandy First off, this movie like won for head. its prosthetic work, so let's oh, show some respect. Well, because Damon was telling me, this has nothing to do with sound time, but Damon was telling me all the people in this movie, and I really, I went back and like looked, and I could not tell <laughs> who they were. So When I told him that Kathy Bates was in it, he oh, just yeah. said, what? She's cloaked in darkness. That one, I went back she, and, is cloaked, yeah. she is cloaked in darkness, that as is Catherine O'Hara. Catherine O'Hara? Wait, Catherine O'Hara is really in it? Catherine O'Hara is really in it. She's in the scene with James Caan. Uh, she's the woman gangster smoking. Oh. She gets no lines. Uh, so I assume she was, um, at first I was like, was that Catherine O'Hara? And I, uh, looked it up on IMDb and she is listed in there. You know, I think it is her. making me like the movie more somehow. <laughs> and they said, uh, apparently Macaulay Culkin was considered for the kid, but he turned it down because of home alone. Well, motherfucker, Catherine O'Hara did it. Catherine wow. found the time. What the fuck's your problem? Yeah, she found the time to show up for like half right. a day. <laughs> yeah, I'll wear your veil what's and just ma- sit here and smoke. What's the matter, bitch? Were you beholden to child labor laws or something? I'm sorry, I, you're in school? You can only do so many hours a day? I feel like you made the right choice. Yeah, I feel like or- Macaulay Culkin was in plenty of movies around that time. <laughs> Getting Even with Dad, a classic, a modern The classic. Good Son. Ooh, Richie Rich. Also music by Stephen Sondheim. The one where he gets bee stung, stung by bees. Also my girl. Oh stung. yeah, my girl. We covered that on this show. Yeah, I remember go that back one. And listen. That was a great one. Yeah, it was. Oh, now you're listening to episodes my favorite. left, right, and center. It's my favorite episode. <laughs> I better go before I get. <laughs> All right, <laughs> Adam. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Adam. I'm happy to come and talk about <laughs> legends of the musical theater anytime. <laughs> We'll do the jerk next time, and you can talk about Bernadette Peters some more. Yeah, I haven't seen that movie, but I will talk about Bernadette Peters. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye. Feel free to drop. I don't like most of those songs. I have to be honest. Wow. Now that Adam's gone, you're really, you know, uh, speaking your mind. You know, I didn't want to yuck his yum, but I don't. (laughs) I don't like. I'm a big Elfman fan, generally Mm -hmm. speaking. I'm I'm an elf maniac. Yeah, uh, huge. I've said that about you. So you know the interstitial music, the the incidental music with. Uh, you uh, mean the, the Batman score? Yes, that's exactly like the <laughs> Batman score. Actually, <laughs> it's very clear. We talked a little bit about this in the in the intro, but yeah, they were very clearly trying to kind of follow the vein of Batman. It was a comic. It was real popular. It had a, like it was set in the forties. Let's just fucking do that again. Let's get Elfman in here. Uh, an actor that uh, people don't think should be uh, lead. Uh, let's put them in the uh, <laughs> in the main main spot. Except for he's directing this time, a little different. But um, it seems like it made plenty of money, but didn't 
quite work out the same way that Batman did. No, it was not a world, uh, I almost said world ender. Why would I say that? <laughs> world ender? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it wasn't a franchise starter, as, as yes. they would say. Do AKA you want, world ender. Before we get too far, do you want to recap this bonkers movie? <laughs> <laughs> I do. Uh, so uh, this movie takes place in unnamed city. And uh, city. Dick Tracy... <laughs> Dick Tracy uh, is a hard-boiled detective. He's up against, uh, you know, organized crime, primarily led by uh, big boy Caprice, Al Pacino. And um, he also is dating a wonderful lady, uh, Tess Trueheart, Glenn Headley. Um, uh, one day he encounters a kid, Charlie Cosmo. Uh, Cosmo, sorry. Uh, and, uh, you know, that kid's like a, a ragamuffin on the street, a street ur- urchin eating mm-hmm. food out of trash cans. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, what I'm getting like to do. is that he uh, also meets a, a lounge singer named Breathless Mahoney. Mahoney Madonna. Um, anyway, uh, he starts defeating organized crime, or sometimes he's not defeating it, and then eventually, you know, defeats it. Uh, and uh, the kid gets adopted, and yeah. Breathless Mahoney gets shot. Because? Because she was the blank. And this movie's got a virgin whore thing going on. Yeah. We'll talk about that. I got that in my notes. Okay. Yeah, big, the big, the big, uh, the reveal at the end is that Madonna is, I always thought it was any face, but I guess I made that up. uh, I don't think he's actually ever named. Johnny No Face, I have in my notes, but I think he is technically called the blank. Well, Pacino. Pacino calls him No Face at one point, oh. but but it's not like his name is No Face. He just calls him, you know, because he has no face. Because he's got no but face. I, for some reason, I was like convinced that like his name was Any Face, but I, I I think I just made that up. So, fuck me. <laughs> Did I miss any uh, important p- plot points in there? Um, I mean, there's a lot going on. This is a uh, this is a movie uh, where things happen. Yes, this is. Uh, Lauren like looked down for a couple minutes when we started this to because she was doing something on her computer and walk, and she just looked up and was like, "What's happening?" <laughs> and then and then she got really grossed out by the makeup. Oh, um, really? I, which I noted here, and I just wrote, "They all got crazy faces." <laughs> I so mean, good observation by me. <laughs> they all got crazy faces, which was the original title. Um, yeah, the eating, makeup uh, is uh, thorough. But I mean, yeah, it's comprehensive. It's 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 throughout. Uh, they did win an Oscar for makeup. Um, I kind of cra- like the that's makeup. Crazy. I kind of like the makeup. I mean, Dick Tracy villains—they all have weird yeah, faces. That's true. the yeah. gist of Dick Tracy villains. Yeah. Um, but uh, I I kind of like the makeup, and I thought it kind of. Stu- I mean, it's insane. Yeah. They're they all look like Easter Island heads, but I thought it was really uh, fun and good. I liked it. Lauren's uh, two cents was this face makeup is not dinner safe because <laughs> we were <laughs> trying to eat and we had to come back to it. Um, Maybe yeah, popcorn, but not a full meal. Yeah, the the craziest one I think was the one that's barely in it, which was little face or small little face. face or, is little insane. face, yeah. So it's like he's got like just this enormous head, but it, it but it but I think they had like a kid play 
mm-hmm. the face or something because it's like a very small face. It was pretty. It's crazy. a very Ted Kennedy esque feel uh, to to <laughs> Little Face. Um, yeah, I think that's how they did it. The problem with Little Face, you do mostly see him in close ups, so he just looks like he's enormous. He doesn't look like he's yeah. a little face. He just looks like a giant man. Right. Um, and when you sort of, if you're able to pause it, you're like, oh, I see the ties oversized and his thing, but you never actually see him in context. It's always a super close up because his head's so big. Right. Um, and you see him from behind in other shots, so you never actually see how little his face is. Right. Um, but yeah, in that same shot, there's uh, the rodent, which is the sort mm-hmm. of the guy who throws the cat. Uh, you also, throughout the movie, you have a prune face. You yeah. have um, flat top. You got itchy. You got numbers. Uh, who else you got in here? Mumbles, which is Dustin Hoffman, which is yeah. if you just grab someone's lips and just pull them to the right. Yes. And their face froze like that. And apparently the mumbles is a, a put on because later when he's confronted with uh um being turned in as a rat by Dick Tracy, he just goes like yes. He like <laughs> can clearly speak normally. Dustin Hoffman pieces it together. Yeah. Um we also get uh some you know, some some classic fight scenes with Dick Tracy always sped up. Which is kind of I mean I appreciate it in the sense that I'd rather that than them doing it at slow speed. <laughs> oh, the ma- yeah, it's it's like the anti-matrix. Like, just, yeah. just let's get through this. We're just going to have a bunch of guys being thrown out of windows. I liked yeah. my favorite uh, Dick Tracy punch in this. There are a lot of montages. There are at least two main montages and maybe a few mini montages throughout of him just uh, fighting guys. And uh, my favorite one is like there are nine men, nine men. <laughs> Uh, five in the front, four in the back, uh, in sort of a semicircle around him, and with one punch, he knocks them all out. Yeah, that was my favorite. I'm like, okay, Warren Beatty's just having fun, having fun yeah. on the set. Well, it's very, you know, it is very like comic strip esque. Oh, like absolutely. Way, yeah, it's like a thing. Oh, whack! You know, it was very uh, of that ilk. Yeah, and Ka- we mentioned this uh, with when we were talking to Adam, but Kathy Bates is in this for some reason. Yeah, um, I think it was. I, w- I I guess to her credit, or not to her credit, but uh, to clarify, it is before her big break in misery. So I think she would have still sort of been a character actress at that point. True. Okay. That, when was misery? I thought. I thought misery. That was in the I think is shortly after this. Um, okay. But I don't think she had. Ha- that was like her big break when she became right. like a name. Right. Um. So I, I'm always a little confused. I'm like, would I in 1990 as a me as a 38 year old man, would I know that that was Kathy Bates or would I be like, Oh, it's that lady who's in things sometimes. Right. DVD, Dick Van Dyke. Doi oh doi. yeah. Dick Van Dyke. And Charles mm-hmm. Durning. Everyone's favorite. Who's that? Uh, he was the police chief. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I almost said the, uh, he was, uh, uh, we're not wanting his time in here. We're mass communicating. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Pressing the flesh. Um, so you have Charles Durning, you have Charlie Cosmo. All your favorites. All your favorite stars. Charlie Corsmo, who was uh, in Hook, which we've talked With about. With Dustin Hoffman. And uh, in Can't Hardly Wait. Let's get the, the big one out of the way. Uh, let's talk about Madonna in this okay. movie. We get to see her boobs, um, at least through, through, a, uh, through a, a, you know, a, a see-through shirt, at least. Yes, I did notice that. Um, I wrote here, nip, exclamation point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that is a, a little uh, Easter egg you only get in the HD version. I don't think that would have been... Because this is a PG movie. <laughs> yeah, it, it was surprising, not because Madonna showed her boobs, but because, uh, but because this is very like toyetic and very kid, you know, 
focus. Not not that it's a yeah. kids movie per se, but it, it's clear that they were trying to target that demographic, at least in the marketing. I think um, that was an error or something that wouldn't have been visible on a standard. I was gonna say, you think you think they accidentally put her in a see-through top? <laughs> no, um, but I just don't think that would have been visible at the time. Or I mean, it would have been visible to Warren Beatty at the time. But I mean, uh, I feel like I would have noticed that before then. Yeah, I don't remember. I feel like of all things, before I would have remembered as a kid. I would have remembered like seeing Madonna's boobs. In You'd this be movie. like, oh yeah. Minute 23 in Dick Tracy, of course. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, on Mr. Skin, if you fast forward to. Um, yeah, so she is, uh, she plays a lounge singer who originally works for Lips Manless. Another oh, yeah, Paul Servino, another, another uh, grotesque. Yeah. So he's um, pretty early on offed by, what's Petrino's character name? Big Boy and, Caprice. Big Boy Caprice. And then so... I guess she's an indentured servant because he <laughs> now owns the club and so basically owns Breathless Mahoney, which is um Well, she seemed to be into it at first. Um yeah. he's well, like he said he was gonna treat her. her. Yeah. 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 And and then like uh, the minute she's like, Yeah, sure, he's immediately abusive. Yeah. Um, and it cuts to one of my favorite scenes in this, which is Al Pacino choreographer. Uh, yes. where he, they're singing uh, one of the Sondheim songs, More. Um, they're rehearsing now that he's taken over Lips Manless's uh, club. Um, he's like teaching all the girls and Madonna choreography to this song and like sort of singing along. He's doing the classic music teacher uh, thing, which is like saying the line before she sings it. Yeah. Um, which always drove me insane in music class. I'm like, I know the line. Don't you know I memorized the Judd's Love Can Build a Bridge before today? <laughs> Look, uh, everyone memorized Love Can Build a Bridge, okay? And uh, Madonna, I think, gives a good performance in that moment where she uh, she's sort Very of going annoyed. along with it and giving like a half-assed performance. And then when he gets even more sort of abusive for her, she just stands still and barely sings the song, uh, which I loved. Yeah. Um, so she immediately has a very like spicy relationship with Dick Tracy. She well she has a spicy relationship with Dick Tracy. Dick Tracy might as well just be like out, you know, painting ducks for all I know. Uh I feel like this movie uh not to get over my skis here, but I feel like this movie is sort of like trying to center it around them, their relationship, the sort of will they won't they? But I think the movie convinces me that Dick Tracy is attracted to her. I don't yeah. think the movie ever convinces me that he's going to leave his girlfriend for Breathless Mahoney. Right. Um, which creates, I don't know if I'm necessarily against that, but it does sort of undercut the tension I feel like they're trying to build, which is like, oh, the passion between these two people. And I mean, Warren Beatty and Madonna at this time, the actors were literally fucking during right. the making of this film. So the fact that they are so like, I feel like she's giving it her all and Warren Beatty's like, I'm not gonna, I just want you to testify is all I want from you. And she's right. like, do you want to fuck? Can we fuck? Are we going to be fucking now? And he's like, anyway, uh, you want to testify against uh, Big Boy Caprice or what? And yeah, I don't know. Uh, there, there's, it's kind of annoying at first when, especially like she comes in like at a, 10 when, when yes. she's wearing her see-through nighty. Then later on, she brings herself in for questioning and she's pretty much just like laying on top of his desk, uh, pushing stuff all around uh, like a cat, one might say. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then later on, they have this sort of really um, intense scene in a boatyard uh, on the docks uh, where she just like pr pretty much just begs him 
to to be with her, or even yeah. not even that, just begs him to tell her that he wants her. He, and he's yeah. like, I just want you to testify. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think he's trying to play it, uh, Dick Tracy, as like you know, he's he's like the goodest good guy, right? Right. But of course, he does like make out with her. He does uh, kiss, kiss her, her a few couple, times, yeah, a couple times, yeah. So it's like, I mean, either I, I don't know. I I think that's I th- I think it was a little wooden the way he played it, but I think I got what he was going for. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like I know what he intended. I just don't know if it really comes off. I'm never right. I'm never like he's definitely going to leave his girlfriend. Um, yeah, I think you I hit were- the nail on the head though. It's just Madonna's the comes on very strong or breathless Mahoney comes on really strong immediately. And it's very like, Whoa, (laughs) I I couldn't tell. I mean, the first scene, it's always like, okay, madam, we're just here for questioning. (laughs) There's no reason to bring your own champagne. Um, But then the, the scene at the docks, I was actually surprised by how effective it was because I think when you see her, with Big Boy in that first scene when Lips Manless gets, you know, stuck in a box of concrete and sent into the ocean, um, you sort of see uh, you sort of see this cycle that probably has happened several times where she's like gotten involved with a mob guy, he gets off, and then she like finds herself with another mob guy and he gets off, and right. so on and so forth. And I think uh, what is effective about that scene at the docks is that she really conveys that like she wants out of this cycle and Dick Tracy is like, no, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want you. I'm with someone, but she's so desperate. She, all she really wants is for him to say that she's, that he likes her. Um, and he wants her and it's really kind of a sad moment. And I was surprised that I was, uh, thinking, wow, she's really selling me on the scene. I don't know if she sells me on all the scenes, but that yeah. scene at the docks really worked for me. For, on Here, at least her half of it. Your analysis actually got me a lot more than the movie did. I'm like, <laughs> wow, that's really tragic. But I, I didn't put that together, I guess. Because I think that's also, after that scene, that's when she starts her her scheme, the blank scheme, or Johnny No-Face, or whatever the fuck yeah, his name is. Can we talk about, yeah, that exactly, like, what exactly is the plan? I know I think you want to talk it. about it, but I can't talk about it, because I don't so, know what her plan is. Yeah, so, okay. I don't so, know what, the, what the, the means to the end is. Breathless is actually any face, which is a name I made up. Um, but she's the, the kind of pulling the strings, but what does, what all does she do as any face, has no so face? She, she, a blank. Yeah, she um, she hires uh, 88 Keys without him knowing it's her. Uh, 88 Keys is Mandy Patinkin's character, the, right. the piano player in the bar. She hires him to uh, get... She sends him a letter as the blank or as any face to get him to reach out to Big Boy to see if he will hire her, hire the blank to kill Dick Tracy. And at first, right. Big Boy blows it off, but then once Dick Tracy is the place bugged and he's able to like thwart all of Big Boy's like schemes, um, he's like, okay, I just want Dick Tracy out of the way. Sure, I'll, I'll hire right. your faceless friend. Um, and so Mandy Patinkin... Uh, and any face, then shoot the district attorney, Dick Van Dyke. Right. Um, and then frame Dick Tracy for right. the murder. That's right. Putting Dick Tracy in jail, which uh, prompts the song Back in Business and, that's, and that's prompts it. Dick Tracy to get out of jail like 20 minutes later. 
Best best scene of the movie. That's what I wanted. I wanted that montage was fantastic. Back that was really fun because like Dick Tracy's out of the way, so all the criminals are having a are spe- specifically big boy is like having a having a field day. He's getting everything he wants, he's raking in money, and they're playing a jaunty little number. <laughs> so that's yeah, what I, dancing. I love a montage, and this is what I want in a montage. I don't want a slow ass Sondheim bullshit number. <laughs> Al Pacino, I mean, you're so passionate. If it was a uh, uh, anyway. If it was a romance montage, that'd be different. But we're talking about gangland montage, <laughs> and you're giving me slow schmaltz. Um, um, I think we are hinting, though, at one of the big things about this movie, which is the plot is out of control. This is manic. It is. I mean, the first two acts, I was thinking about this when I was rewatching it today, and the first two acts just never let up. And you're absolutely, I mean, I can totally believe that Lauren looked down from her phone uh, or looked down at her phone, looked back up, and was like, wait, what is happening? Um, because this movie, one, you have so many characters. You have so many gangsters. You have so many of Dick Tracy's fellow cops. You have so many yeah. of people in just like Dick Tracy's personal orbit that. The movie wants to bounce to Tess Trueheart and the kid, then bounce to Dick Tracy, you know, bringing in people for questioning and questioning other people and and arresting people and having to let them go and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and it's so hard to not keep track of everyone. It's pretty easy to figure out who's who. Like, oh, do right. you have a weird, crazy head? You're, you're a, probably a villain. You're a bad guy. Yeah. Um, but it's hard to like care about anyone because the movie is just throwing so much at you. Yeah. Honestly, I would have probably, well, I think that Charlie Cosmo does a good job and the kid's like, the kid looks like he comes from a kid factory. Like he's an adorable kid. Right. Um, but I would have probably cut the kid out and just like have um, Warren Beatty and Tess like have yeah. their own like relationship they, they can have. Right. And that is torn asunder by crime and w- Warren Beatty's inability to get a desk job. Right. Um, but there's so much going on constantly that really the only time the movie actually is able to sort of slow down is in act three when it finally just sort of sets in motion like the blank's final plan, which is like Tess Trueheart's gets herself princess peached and right. like is being like held hostage by big boy inadvertently. Um, that's when the movie is finally able to slow down because then you start to get a feeling uh, for uh, Warren Beatty's relationship with his fellow cops like yeah. the fellow cops like get a few scenes and I'm like, oh, these guys are pretty funny. Yeah. It's a little late to introduce me to them now, but <laughs> they're yeah. pretty funny. When they, when they started like repeat, there were two guys that like repeat the, each other's sentences. Yeah. They just repeat each other. I'm like, was that a thing? The whole movie? Because I did not catch that at it's all. It's only a thing end. starting now. And then when he's <laughs> with one of those cops, he gets trapped in big boys, like in, like a, like a in a room. Yeah. He like gets trapped in a room and, uh, he thinks of him a way to catapult himself out. And he's like talking to the guy who's still on the roof. And he's like, how much do you weigh? And the guy's like, uh, you know, 185, uh, 190. And he's like, how's much? And he's like, 210. Yeah. He just like <laughs> keeps changing his, his weight around. And he, you're seeing like Dick Chase is like trying to work the math out in a notepad. And it's, he's like just furiously crossing things out. And I'm like, suddenly I'm like, well now, I mean, I, these characters seem fun, but yeah, it's a little late for this. You're right. Um, I did like also like that because, so the guy jumps down and, Seesaw catapults Dick Tracy out, but then the guy's just right. down there instead. Dick Tracy's just blatantly saying, you're not as important as I am. Yes. I'll take care of this. You I could tell here. you what to do, but I know you're just going to fuck it up. <laughs> um, and the cops just kind of go along with all of it. They're like, okay, you want me to jump 30 feet down? Sure. 
Um, yeah, so th- th- that was the the weird thing about this movie is it just never slows down until it's, the last third. It's very stuffed. And a, uh, one of the trivia notes, which again, asterisks always, but uh, it was that it was longer. And I kind of get that vibe that this was very trimmed down to this. Well, and, I mean, if you have Catherine O'Hara, you better have her fucking saying some lines. Right. I mean, when I well, saw her, I was like, she has to be either not Catherine O'Hara or they cut something out. Right. Yeah, and you know, usually that stuff that gets left on the floor is, you know, for the best. But this was like maybe this wouldn't have been so frenetic if like there was a little bit more room to breathe in some of those scenes, especially at first. Like, cause yeah, I, it does it does slow down a little bit at the end. But your first is just like, I'm gonna have to really pay attention to this this <laughs> vibrant children's movie, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, I mean. One of the other things I read, IMDb trivia, asterisk, asterisk, um, is that, I mean, Warren Beatty's obviously like a huge fan of the comics themselves from his right. childhood. Um, and so his one of his goals, like if he never got a sequel, was he wanted to include as many right, characters right. in the comic as possible. So that also lends itself to overstuffedness. So, I mean, you get the gangs like coming together scene with James Caan and Catherine O'Hara and all those other people. And it's just like, is this really necessary? Did, I didn't even know there were separate gangs. Like you didn't right. have to do this. You could have just had prune face in the gang. Who cares? Right. Um, it's just, uh, yeah, there's just so much in it. And it almost, I, I mean, for me at least, it almost worked until I would like stop and be like, what's going on? Yeah. Like I was, I found myself enjoying it because it's almost works as like sort of a mobster pastiche, just like, you know, these tropes, here's some of them. Right. Um, but yeah, then he's, gonna, would, he's a detective. He's going to eat chili out of a can. <laughs> but when it would stop uh, for a minute, I'd be like, I have no idea what, what, what's going on or why I'm so invested. The, it gets into like this rut of like Dick Tracy calls someone in for questions. Mm. They give him no information. He releases them two seconds later. Then he calls someone else in for questions. Then he arrests Big Boy anyway. And then I right. feel like that happens like two and a half times. And I'm like, okay, movie, I need you to stop it. Um, Big Boy uh, has a habit of quoting or misattributing quotes to people yes. or just making up quotes and attributing to them to people. Um, all's fair in love and business, according to Ben Franklin. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I wrote some down. I wish he. I know he. He used. A, he attributed something to Nietzsche, but I don't remember what. The yeah. was. <laughs> he says. Uh, he while he's kidnapping Tess, he's sort of having like a mental breakdown because it is. Uh, someone points out later, it's the only crime he didn't commit. Was like he gets framed for Tess's kidnapping. Yeah. And so he starts to panic a little bit, and he just starts like rambling, and like he'll sort of like trying to mutter like nurturing things to her, and like just tell her like, "Look, I didn't kidnap you. Someone's trying to set me up, but I'm kidnapping you now, and don't make me push you." <laughs> just like would get so angry. At one point, he's also like starting to give her like notes about leadership while he's like pulling all his mobsters into a car to get away from the club he's like you got to tell them everything they crave leadership and i'm just like <laughs> what are you doing his whole his whole performance is unhinged like oh, absolutely from the word go. must have been having the time of his life and even when he's not like saying lines his mo- mouth is always just like <laughs> just like moving because he's got this weird face oh and- yes and just emphasizes it over and over again with his like the weird lip movement. And then, yeah, it's 
The scene where he realizes that he's being bugged, he and Pruneface are like having a discussion about offing Dick Tracy and like coffee starts dripping from the ceiling because the bugs, bug, I think his name, um, who has very large prosthetic ears, um, the cop uh, on the floor above them is listening in. Uh, Al Pacino gives like a silent performance of lunacy it's just all twitches and ticks um just looking at prune face looking up at the ceiling looking around tasting the coffee dripping down it's insane this is i mean this is i guess like the precursor to the scent of a woman al pacino that we've been treated to for the last like 30 years <laughs> yeah. this is this was a sign of things to come not about a, a one-off <laughs> um but also back to the plot, I wrote this note because I could not figure this out. So early in the film, he brings in Mumbles, who is sort of like one of Big Boy's upper lackeys. Right. I don't think he has any power. He's just sort of like almost like the PA to Big Boy Caprice. Right. Um, he brings in Mumbles uh, and records him. Now, we don't. the audience don't know that, and Mumbles doesn't know that. Um, and then in Act 3, he plays the recording back to Mumbles, and slows it down so you can actually understand what Mumbles is saying, which is Big Boy did it, Big Boy did it. Yeah. Why record Mumbles and then not reveal that he was recording him until Act 3? Because the whole movie is based on this premise that Dick Tracy is trying to figure out who offed Lips Manless. He knows it's Big Boy, but he can't prove it. But when he comes in, like he, both those scenes, when he initially questions Mumbles, and then when he reveals that he was recording him, the first time, he's it's played with confidence as if he knew. It's not like he didn't know there was a tape recorder in the in the water keg. So it's this weird, like, why did you wait on that? Why did you sit on this? Not to uh, replot the movie or anything, right. but I feel like my impression was that he only just then thought of the using that. Oh, to slowing get, it down. To well, not necessarily just slowing it down, but using his confession to get mumbles to help him do something because he tells him something else at that point right he tells him that uh 88 keys that mandy patinkin was the one who was so he's not even after that because i feel like that that's probably true in in real life that wouldn't be enough like a lackey saying big boy did it you know so he (laughs) but he uses the fact that if he plays that for big boy big boy will kill mumbles so he uses that to get Mumbles to tell him other information. That was that right. was how okay. I got it. Not to like so. do too much legwork for the movie, but like <laughs> that was what my understanding was. Again, it's I I didn't think of it any time I've watched this movie, which is a good number of times, where I was like, wait, why why are you sitting on this information? You want to talk about Mandy Patinkin? Uh, I do have a note. Why does Mandy Patinkin look like this? <laughs> I was like, oh, this must be what the character looked like in the the comics. And I looked up the character. The character in the comics looks like Danny fucking K. So I don't know why they gave him this weird comb over uh, that's all the way back. And it's so, he looks like the goddamn elephant man. Yeah, I guess they just were trying to go for the the weird thing, but without the prosthetics for him. Uh, It's very odd. It is very odd. Some of it was, I don't know, like the, the cartoonishness of the of the makeup works for me sometimes, and then others just looks. It's like Muppets, where it, there's a really <laughs> thin line between really creative, cool, interesting character and just nightmares, just like pure <laughs> concentrated who, nightmares. Coming who is on on the uh, good prosthetics list, and who is on the nightmare list? I think Flat Top is good. 
Um, I think uh, Big Boy is Nightmares. <laughs> okay. I think sm- uh, was it Small Face is or Little Face is Nightmares. Yes. I think uh, the was it what's Rat Rat Person <laughs> Rodent Rodent is good. Is, uh, yes, he was pockmarked. I don't know if that actor's pockmarked, but like his pockmarks yeah. and his nose, like they match his skin to his nose. Got well, who else we got? Job. Prune face. I feel like that's that's uh, more intentional nightmare fuel. I don't know. It feels like it wasn't out of like lack of execution. It was just a nightmarish. Right. Uh, he he looks fine to me. Um, not fine. Um, but there is a weird so scene when fine. he's looking up and you can see into his nostrils and you can just sort of see that they sort of painted the nostrils to be a little bit darker. And I was like, oh, because he's wearing a goddamn mask. <laughs> right. Yeah. Those aren't his actual nostrils. Aren't you going to frisk me? Oh, my God. The, 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 she really wants to be Lauren Bacall. And it just, sometimes it works. And sometimes it's a little bit, Sad. Sometimes, I mean, there yeah. was some. It's just like over the top vampiness. Uh, yeah. What is the one that was like the most ham fisted um, when she comes to Dick Tracy's house with ice cream, and he's like, uh, she's pretending to be Tess, I guess. And when he opens, he says, while opening the door, what kind, what flavor did you get? And she says, fresh peach. And this is like so like <laughs> clumsy. Yeah. She says, "Better hurry. It's starting to run a little." I'm like, if only there was a word for r- runny ice cream, like melting. But instead, run a little. I just actually, as a gay man, I just realized what that is a reference to. I'm just going <laughs> to put a check mark by that. My apologies. Listen, I mean, my friend Ben Shapiro talked about uh, <laughs> rap, and I think I just got a. <laughs> P word, please. Uh, let's not use any filthy language here. I did. There was a funny scene where um, when eighty eight keys first puts uh, the the idea that hey, why don't we, why don't you hire my friend here, my nameless friend to to kill Dick Tracy, um, and uh, you know, big boy pretty much laughs him out of the room. And Flat Top's like, you want me to follow him? And <laughs> Al Pacino again having the time of his life. He's like, where to the piano? Yeah, <laughs> it just it's like shut up. <laughs> I guess let's talk about Tess, since we were sort of talking about uh, Queen of the Vamps. Um, Tess is played by Glenn Headley, uh, who I probably know best from um, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, but she was also Mr. Holland's Opus. Ben Um, Wyatt's mom in Parks and Rec. Oh, really? Yeah, we just watched it. That's the only reason I know that. You probably also know her from Don Juan, that movie that- Mm -hmm. uh, That we've all seen. What's his name? Yeah. Joseph Gordon Levitt's in. Uh, I was Don John. Sorry, my apologies. Uh, she's unfortunately dead. Wait, she died. She died. She died a few years ago. Really, 2017. Holy shit! I was I very surprised. She was only that. 62. That's a shame. Um, she. I'm. I'm torn about Tess. I feel like the movie wanted to do something with Tess. She is sort of a little. Brassy, was that yeah. the word? Is that what you yeah. say? She gets she's a brassy she gets a, dame. She gets a little bit to do, um, and Very she gets little. a little bit. She gets a little bit of agency, just a little. Like 
She sticks up for herself a little. I would say you get hints of an interior yes. life, for, but yes. never like an idea of what that interior life would be. Like there's a few scenes where like the kid, um, he's like, I hate dames. And she's like, yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's a scene where he like steals money off of the table when she's turned around. She's just like, uh, he's like, you guys married or something? She's like, nah, you want a you wanna broken finger? And the kid yeah. just like throws the money back on the uh, table. She, she, she could have been just sort of like a, a damsel in distress. Yes. And she's not quite there, but she's not not a damsel in distress. Yeah, because she does also kind of like, like, for lack of a better phrase, like she, she henpecks Dick Tracy a little. Like that's how Was it's he? set up. About getting a desk job and being together. Oh, right. Well, at the very beginning. But she, she also like... When he kind of turns it around on her, she's also like, oh, you're just saying, like, you don't actually want that. Like, do you, what, what do you actually want? You know? Right. When he starts talking about it, he's like, I was talking, I was thinking. And she's like, what are you thinking about? She always yeah. like sort of, I think she wants to get married, but she wants him to say it. And so right. there's two cute, like sort of repeated scenes where uh, he was like, I'm thinking, you know, thinking about you living alone. She's like, I like living alone. He's like, yeah, I know. And she's like, that's something we have in common. We both like living alone. And he's like, yeah, but, and like, sort of like, she's sort of, it's very playful and it's cute. And I wish there was more of that because she does, I never get the feeling of what their relationship actually is. This sort of goes right. back to like the movie being really overstuffed. So I'm never really invested in their relationship to give a shit that Breathless Mahoney's trying to horn in on it. Right. Um, I'm never that invested in, in them staying together. Uh, because I don't know what their relationship is outside of having this kid around or, you know, all that stuff. It just never like gels. And then when she gets like kidnapped at the end, I was just kind of annoyed. It started to feel like yeah. a video game or like yeah. you know, olive oil. Well, she also like doesn't, I don't know. She gets a little bit of interplay with, with uh, big boy, but she doesn't get anything to do anymore until the very. She's end. almost silent she for the for yeah. the last act of the movie. She doesn't have one line, she's even when they're struggle. reunited. Yeah. She doesn't uh, get another line until like sort of the denouement scene after after the fact in the diner again. She's like silent throughout the entire kidnapping. She's silent while Al Pacino's like chewing the scenery with mustard. Yeah. Um, she's silent during. Uh, while she's literally being tied to a giant gear um, yeah. in a in a uh, suspension bridge, it's a very weird moment. I wish they had done more. They sort of alluded like they were going to, and it never pans out. And then you know, Madonna gets shot for being a a whore. <laughs> That's the feeling I get. Like this movie has like a virgin hair whore thing, and Madonna gets shot, and Glenn Headley ha is silent. Yeah, yeah, it's. I think it like wants to break the trope, and then when the plot needs it, it's like, oh fuck it, we're going back to the right <laughs> going back. back to the kidnapping thing. Yeah, there was there was definitely room for her to to have more. I mean, there wasn't room in the movie, but I mean, like there <laughs> there would have been the movie would have been served better if they had kind of explored her character a little bit more and and uh, Mahoney as well, like just kind of like yeah, what because I'm not clear what even I'm rooting for. You know what I mean? What am I like? What is the movie kind of? Saying because I didn't like it's not even a clear virgin horror trope, you know what I mean? Right. Well, I mean they give it's definitely set up, but it's like what is what's going on? And I and uh, it's it's complicated by the fact that Mahoney's plot as 
the blank as the the kind yeah. of ear turning event like doesn't make any sense to me. So like I'm not following that. I'm not <laughs> following her relationship with Dick Tracy. I'm not following Tessa's relationship with Dick Tracy. So I'm like, at the end, I'm just like, oh, okay, well she's dead. Yeah, it it, it is uh, kind of a, a mess um, that it just it feels like very skimmed upon. And I mean, I guess even in the movie, if uh, it gives Breathless Mahoney more of a story, so it almost makes you want to root for her and Dick Tracy. Right, right. right. Although it never really gives you the idea that you're, I mean, going back to my earlier point, it never gives you the idea that Dick Tracy wants to be with her anyway. So it just sort of like, it just feels like I'm going through the motions of a, of a you know, tortured romance uh, or yeah. love triangle and never really pays off. Yeah. Because, it, well, you know, to be fair, it's because it wants to get back to the crazy makeup villains. And who wouldn't? Yeah. Lauren, that's who. <laughs> You notice that um, uh, when any face, oh, sorry, I did it again. When uh, the blank, <laughs> when any face speaks, uh, birth her, certificate. She, she has like a, a vo- you know, a voice uh, modulator di- disguising her voice. And it's, she sounds like a Jawa. I don't know if you noticed that. Uh, yeah. She's like out. You didn't eat. Um, <laughs> she, she definitely has, um, you know, crushed larynx syndrome when she's mm. as the blank. It's weird. It reminded me, actually, I mean, in the Star Wars, it reminds me of like uh, when Leia comes to rescue. Yes. I think, With yeah, I think that's it. That's actually exactly. <laughs> Do you? Um, it also reminds me um, at work, uh, I work with banks, um, and one of my banks had a really, uh, Odd-looking fellow. One of their managers was in their banner, and uh, me and a coworker came up with a story for this man, which was that he was a space alien uh, living, much like Edgar in Men in Black, living in the skin of this man, and that's why he looked <laughs> so weird. But the most interesting thing about him wasn't that he was a space alien; it was that he really wanted to be the cool boss. <laughs> so uh, he had a very similar voice to the blank, which was like, "Hey guys." I know what we can do. Why don't we lock the doors and order some pizza? You guys have been working hard this week. <laughs> hey, y'all. Happy hour at Chili's, y'all. <laughs> it was really nuanced characters, but I'm good. It was good. At. Definitely don't send me a screenshot of that banner. When <laughs> um, do you want to talk about the shootout in the street? <laughs> Now, is this in the finale when yes. Big Boy is originally going to just like run into the street or, uh, you know, his cavalcade of cars and just drive off and away from Club Ritz? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Everyone in the scene has a Tommy gun <laughs> and everyone's shooting and, and everyone's kind of hiding behind cars, driving by cars, crashing cars, jump, jumping around, hiding behind buildings, except for Dick Tracy, who's just in the middle of an intersection, just in a yellow trench coat, yeah, no just, less. Yeah. With a target. Full- <laughs> <laughs> target just gunning people down doesn't i mean i thought it was uh ridiculous but also kind of great because it's like Very iconic i remember it yes. being used in ads a lot because he's yes. literally he's doing the straight guy fantasy of just like what if there's an explosion behind me right yeah <laughs> um so he's doing that and he's got a tommy gun and he's got the you know yellow trench coat um it's absolute lunacy um <laughs> But yes, it's it's not only the first time that happens, because um, there's a few montages. I can't remember if it's the sooner or later montage or the back in business montage. Um, 
or maybe uh, the one with the duet montage. Who could say? Uh, but you know, there's several shots of him just like in a car shooting from the driver's side window, just while driving, uh, and and several like explosions. It's uh, jam packed. And when I was I was watching it, I was like, was Dick Tracy this violent? Um, the actual comic. Yeah. And I looked it up, and actually, it was criticized in the 30s and 40s for being too violent. Mm. So I was like, I mean, I guess I got to hand it to him. It is accurate. How, how did you feel about like the, we, we touched on in the intro, the, the, just the using only primary colors, like only colors that would have been available in the comic strip. And then it was a very like, they used painted backgrounds. Yeah. Uh, and the scene was very like, like old school art all around. Like, how did you feel like, as an artiste? How did you of feel? Of course. About that? Thank you. As an artiste and a representative yeah. of the artistic community. Yes. Um, I loved it. I, it's not, it probably wasn't as flawless as I remember it being. Um, the matte paintings I really love. They really just like capture that sort of like ethereal, like tuniness. Yeah. Uh, I wrote in my notes that this movie is like if Batman and Roger Rabbit were married and mm. there was still like a paternity test question about Wes Anderson. <laughs> like was he in, <laughs> involved in some way? Um, because I mean, it's got that toony quality that Roger Rabbit's Toontown has. Um, it's got those bold colors Um it has that Batman feeling of just like, well, Danny Elfman's score and just like, you know, yeah. especially at night, the color palette is on it. Like when it's nighttime and the sets are lit up in that way, I love it. In daytime, it's not as strong. Sometimes there's scenes right. of like Dick Tracy walking in a bright sun bathed, you know, uh, yellow and red and green, you know, uh, city street. And I'm like, this looks ridiculous like sometimes they would take items like trash cans and they would paint them yellow and i'm like i understand what you're doing that you're yeah. doing this palette thing but why wouldn't you paint it blue which is closer to gray and probably what a comic book would paint a trash can to look like um the only time i was distracted is when dick tracy gets uh captured at some point and he's tied up in a like in a basement next to Oh yeah, it. I was about to bring this up. Go on. Yeah. Next to the what you call it? A furnace. The furnace, so the hot the water. The furnace meter. is like stylish. It's like yellow and red. It's like <laughs> the pipes are like, red, although the furnace body is yellow. It it looks like Roger Rabbit's furnace. Like there's yeah. no way around it. <laughs> Someone took some license with, while painting this uh furnace. And it's I mean it looks great, but it's also that was the only time it was despite the fact that there was a lot of things to be distracted by, or that was the only time where I was like why would you do that? Why would Why anyone go with like blue and black or something? It's just, yeah, yeah there are a few moments where I was, and um, there, there's a few times when you would, could tell it was just like, they bought a chair at like any, any chair USA and just yeah. painted it bright red. And so for, in my mind, I was like, Oh, it's going to be like, everything's like custom made. I'm like, Oh no, some of it is just like spray painted tables. And you can sort of tell when it's in like really stark light that it, it doesn't work as strongly, yeah. but I still love it. Like it's such yeah. a bold choice and it's so, it just works throughout the movie. I love it. I, I, I can't help but love it. It's lunacy when you see guys in orange suits um, yeah. that aren't in Dumb and Dumber, but I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, I, I love it. How did you feel about it? Yeah, I, I liked it. I, th his, I mean, I know this isn't like the sets, but like the, his, yellow trench coat and the yellow hat and his black suit and his red tie. Like it fucking looks awesome. Yeah. Like it Why is, are we wearing more yellow? Uh, I know I, it, it looks so good. And like, 
I mean, I love that kind of look. I love the like. I don't. I'm not like a big gangster film guy. Like it just like I've never been a big thing to me. But I love the suits. So like, yeah, this is like my favorite things: comic books and suits <laughs> together. You know, in two bright of colors. your favorite things: comic books <laughs> and suits. If we were a 13 year old boys, we'd be like, we're gonna bring fedoras and trench coats back. As someone who, like many of us, have have not actually worn pants for like six months. <laughs> You'd just be Suddenly surprised by how much suits. I like suits. I like the way they look, at least. But yeah, I, I mean, like it, suits as well. And I always like, maybe I'll get more into suits. And then I like <laughs> look at prices. I'm like, no, I don't think I'm going to be doing that. And then I also like will have elaborate fantasies. I'm like, I'm going to mm. get into tweed suits. I'm going to wear them to the office. And then I imagine everyone reacting to me to me wearing those things in the office. I'm like, I'm not going to fucking do that. I wear it once and everyone be like, oh, look at you. And then I'd be like, I don't want this attention. Get the fuck away from me. One time I was talking to Lauren about um like I, I had just seen, I think we were out and saw like just a just a dapper old man, just like wearing a suit that looked like really <laughs> nice tailored, had the little like the the cabbie hat, you know what I mean, and looking good. And I was like, Man, I hope when I'm, you know, seventy or eighty, I'm looking good like that. I dress like that and look good. And she's like, Why would you all of a sudden start wearing a suit all the time? <laughs> Be more <laughs> distracting than anything. And I was like, Okay, yeah, good point. Um but no, I, th- I I liked it. I liked it a lot. I was like afraid that it would be kind of distracting, but it, it the, the makeup is way more distracting than the <laughs> than the the colors and the uh, totally. that actually worked really well. And the makeup, I got the idea of it, even if all, all the execution wasn't always what I would want to see. But it was, uh, like, yeah, the colors. I don't know. That's one of those things that like. I'm not sure how I feel about Warren Beatty's directing and directing in general, but that choice is was really cool and iconic. It, made this movie work li- the way it looks a lot better, I think. Yeah, um, I sometimes just think about that final shot when they're leaving the diner. He and the kid are leaving the diner and they're driving off into the sunset, and you just it pans up and it's part set, part matte painting, and mm. you're you look at the you're like you're like driving west into the sunset, as I said, and like a, a train car goes by, like as you know, the sun is setting. It's insane. There's no reason they could have gotten away with this and it somehow works. Right. Uh, and it reminds me, I always have this elaborate fantasy of someone making, I may have even talked about it on this show before, but someone making a Superman movie that is set in the thirties rather than being set in the present. And have like being able to do something similar where, you know, uh, being able to use the hyper stylized. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm thinking about those old like Superman serial uh, animated cartoons they used to, you know, have yeah. mm-hmm. before movies. What in my childhood? How old am I? <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's just, I think it probably harkens back to how much I love the styling of this movie um, and probably a little bit of Batman as well, which is also. Uh, Tim Burton's two Batman movies are very styled in a way where yeah, and the animated the series men are, are dressed as as like it's the 30s, but you know yeah. all the cars are from the 80s, the the hairstyles are from the 50s. It makes no sense. Yeah. Um. So I think uh, that sort of dripped into my head, and I'm sure I'm just like cribbing notes from Dick Tracy when I imagine that version of Superman. Want to go to the verdict? I'm ready. Let's go to the verdict. Come on. This movie probably, I mean, it does not work as a um, plot. 
Centric movie. Um, it does work as sort of like, I don't want to say a parody of gangster movies, but like, I feel like I've said this word already, but the pastiche of gangster movies. This is like the fifth time we've said pastiche. Oh, I love it. It's got that, that C-H-E in there. Mm, Yeah, I love that. Um, I'm going to say your inner child is not an idiot. Uh, it's not a perfect movie by any means, but I enjoyed watching it. I think it's a beautiful movie. I wish more uh, more comic books movies would uh, take themselves less seriously. And I think Dick Tracy kind of takes itself less seriously uh, while also making a good-looking movie. Zack Schneider. You ever heard of a good-looking movie? Do Who's that. Zack Schneider? Zack Snyder, didn't he do the oh, terrible? Uh, oh, I'm sorry, that H, that rogue H in there. No, well, I thought that was like a different person. H. I was like, yeah, I get what you mean. Sorry, you, Zack Snyder. You didn't think 300 looked good? Is that what you're saying? I mean, I guess as spank bank material maybe, but otherwise it's just it's just the comic book, as misogynistic and homophobic as the uh, Frank Miller comic. Mm. I can get that in page form, thank you. Um, so yeah, I would say your inner child is not an idiot. I want to say that I appreciate the I appreciate the kind of storyboard esqueness of it all. I appreciate the color palette. I appreciate some of the performances. I appreciate one of the songs. <laughs> I like I like when Elfman did the Batman score the first time. <laughs> but I can't I can't give this a good movie score. I'm sorry. You're gonna shout as an idiot. This is a this is a bad movie. Um, you don't like the Rogues Gallery of of I think it's I think it, it's fun. Um, there are elements of it that are fun. But I found it more kind of hard to watch than entertaining. Um, and I think I don't think anybody is there are not that many people at least uh, just kind of like fondly remembering their favorite movie Dick Tracy. I'm sure there are people out there, but but if you're like, I remember that being great, um, I don't think you're going to be happy when you come back <laughs> to it. Uh-huh. But if you want to, if there's a reason you want to come revisit it, like you want to look at what it's like to have those primary colors only, or you want to look like, you know, what was the, there's some trivia about it being one of the last movies where they used the matte paintings in the background. Oh, really? As, I don't know if that's true. I think it was from INDB. Again, 50-50 chance. Some but if there's like teenager wrote yeah. that. <laughs> And also, like I am, uh, if you are like you know our our special guest Adam Tamarine, if you love Stephen Sondheim, then that's great. I don't like these songs for the most part. Uh-huh. Um, so, like the the emphasis on those songs was frustrating for me. It made it was like the the movie liked them more than I did. It's right. like if if I if I saw one of my favorite movies growing up, that thing you do, and I didn't like all the songs. I'd be like, why are we doing all this music? What's going on? It's almost right. a musical. There's so many songs. Like, yeah, it is. It is. That's why I wanted to have Adam on because it is so yeah. centered on those songs. And I can see if you didn't like those songs, you'd be like, why do you keep spoon feeding me these songs? Yeah. Um, I, think, I, I like the songs. And there are some times where I'm like, what? Another montage? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Warren Beatty's like, I paid a lot for Steven Sondheim. Yeah, going we're going to use him. him. Yeah. And I think um, I was prepared to be a little bit more annoyed by Madonna than I was. Not just, not as a like singer specifically, but just as an actress, because I know she's like, she's done good, good work as an actress, but I remember specifically kind of being annoyed by her in this movie. And I think it's more character than her acting. I think we kind of touched on all the character issues, but I think she does 
she does a fine job with it. I think uh, she's she's sexy. She's looking good. She's <laughs> doing her best. It's a little bit like frustrating from a character standpoint of like what is what does she actually want i think your explanation was better than anything the movie gave me <laughs> so if i um, had come out of that perspective i might have been more kind of sympathetic to her character but um i think i do think actually, she's probably a better actress in this than she is a singer in this yes as yeah. i said in the, when we were talking to adam there's something like missing like there are these really like sort of big numbers or like torch yeah. songs and there's just something about that madonna just doesn't have the range of Say a Bernadette Peters or a Patty Lapone, as I'm sure Patty Lapone would like me to remind anyone uh, who <laughs> thought Evita was subpar. Um, she just doesn't have that sort of like Sondheim range. And I think Adam did point out, like, I think Sondheim does write to her, and she's never like, she's never a bad singer. There's just like yeah. something flat about it that never works. But I thought her performance was pretty good. Yeah. It's a little bit like overwhelmingly, like, you know, Veronica Lake. Yes, cosplay, right. but um, yeah, I agree with you on M Madonna. Madge. Queen Madge. Madge. Oh, Madge. Hey, what do you think, everybody? Email us, yourinnerchildisnidia at gmail.com. You can call us or text us, leave us a message, 615-576-0525. Um, you can find us on all the social media, your Facebooks, your Instagrams, your Tweeters. Um, you know, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, we want to thank our patrons, and I, I know I promised uh, earlier that, that we were going to make up Dick Tracy nicknames for everybody, but we realized that that's mean, uh, and there's not really good Dick Tracy nicknames. So, I mean, maybe we should come up, let's try to come up with good Dick Tracy nicknames. Like, What is uh, good? Define good. Uh, like, Jeremy always makes his bed Powlin. Ah, I see. Okay. Um, uh Jonathan, babyface day. <laughs> uh, Joshua, helping old ladies across the street, Nicholson. No, we got just symmetrical face, cuz. Karen, very good with a savings plan for retirement, Kerr. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Larissa, early voting maestro. <laughs> Lindsay, good vocabulary, Nell. Uh, a little respectful of authority when it deserves it. Flick. T. Impeccable flossing habit Smith. <laughs> uh, Kevin from Los Angeles from Cleveland. <laughs> uh, Captain Jean-Luc Data Jordy Picard. <laughs> uh, we got uh, Brandon full head of hair Hardy. His honor always eats his vegetables. The mayor. There you go. Honorable. Uh, primordial cleans up really well burrito. <laughs> the supreme benevolent ruler of this <laughs> podcast. Christine in Brooklyn, but she doesn't make a big deal out of it. <laughs> Damon's respectful Australian <laughs> accent. Dan law-abiding McIntyre. Dramatically placed and well-seasoned hot dog. Jacob always texts when he's going to be late grim. The zesty, but not too zesty. True. We're not going to do that ever again because that took like 20 minutes. But thank you guys so very much uh, for supporting the show. If you want to be a patron like them, yourinnerchildisanidiot.com. Support us on Patreon. I'm still uh, mad that I didn't get to call one of our patrons skin tags. <laughs> <laughs> you can call me. Or we get, we get to use that at the end as our nickname. Uh, uh, signing off, this is uh, DJ Small Nipples Phillips. And this is Damon not pulling off this mustache like he thinks he is. Xanthropolis. <laughs> <laughs>